Proactive Athletes is the premier place that empowers student athletes to overcome the challenges of college sports recruitment. Their unparalleled expertise and influential network will guide you towards realizing your fullest potential. At Proactive Athletes, they understand that each student athlete is unique, facing their own set of obstacles. That's why their dedicated team takes the time to comprehend your individual needs, providing a comprehensive hands-on approach tailored to your success. With their personalized attention and unwavering support, they ensure your satisfaction every step of the way. Through their vast network, they have successfully connected with over 2.3 million coaches, giving your child's profile the exposure it deserves. In fact, their student-athletes' profiles have been viewed by an astounding 716,000 coaches, solidifying their reputation as the go-to platform for recruitment. What sets them apart is their data-driven approach, allowing them to make informed decisions that result in better outcomes for their student-athletes. By harnessing the power of data, they maximize your child's chances of success as they embark on the next chapter of their athletic journey. Join the ranks of proactive athletes and unlock your true potential. Let them amplify your talent, connect you with coaches that want you but may not have known about you, and pave the way for your future success. Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I am coming today. I'm putting together some of my favorite podcast interviews surrounding entrepreneurship for 2022. I have some amazing guests, and I want to highlight some of their, their stories and their beginnings so you can be able to pull and extract some information from my guests. I have a couple of different people from a couple of different sectors, but they all tell a story on what prompted them to start to create something that they can monetize, they can have a business on. And I learned a lot through interviewing these, these individuals, and I know you will too. So what I'm going to do is I already pulled it from my past episodes, but I'm going to be giving like a brief little um, synopsis before each interview. I pulled back five, so this would be pretty short, but it's, it's chock full of meat. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into it. Welcome to the Shark Effect Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm an NFL veteran of eight years, and now I'm an author, leadership and personal development coach, and international speaker. In this podcast, you will learn strategies to get unstuck in life and find your influence. You will hear inspirational and value-packed stories from former and current elite-level athletes, successful entrepreneurs, and experts in the field of personal development. My mission is to help former elite-level athletes find their identity and utilize their influence to create a life of impact. So my first guest is Tom Ferry. His episode, his full episode is on um, number 68. And he's, a, he's an Englishman who came up with this game or this idea that you can bet on yourself. It's called Stakester. Um, it's by Rockstar Games. And you can be able to bet money on if you can beat somebody anywhere. So <laughs> it's a great idea. 
and his story of how he came up with the idea is even greater. So he, he pulls back the layers of the process of how he got it started, the relationships he had to build. And it's something that you can be able to, to pick up some, some, some nuggets about how entrepreneurs, how they think and how they take action. All right. So check it out. One number one is you have to be challenged to a point where you are getting to a level that you know you are at your peak. Okay. Because you've got to keep challenging yourself all the time before you get there. You have to keep challenging yourself. So the first time you run 5K, you might do it in 25 minutes, whatever. But then you know that you, but then you don't know if you can do sub 20 minutes, which is a competitive time. You don't know if you can do that until you keep pushing yourself and challenging yourself. And the real reward you get as a human being is about understanding what you're capable of. And we're all more capable than we realize. And I was working in a corporate environment where I would describe myself as externally as very successful. But then the truth is I knew I had more in me. I knew that I was more. And the second thing I wanted to optimize for was freedom. Okay. Now, freedom, I think, is the most valuable asset you ever have. And yes, money can buy freedom. It's a big part of why we earn good money, why we aim to earn money. But ultimately, and that's the freedom to do the things that, the way that you want to do them. And I had a really good job at a really great company, and we we're doing incredibly well. But I didn't have those two things. I wasn't being challenged. We were successful, but I wasn't being challenged because I knew that this was something that I'd just been doing for a long time that was bread and butter. And then on the other side, I didn't have the freedom. So I left that job and took a big risk. Anyway. So I go to the gym and I'm doing a bit of jujitsu. Jujitsu. And for people who don't understand what that is, it's basically aggressive hugging. Yeah. It's like that. You just you're just <laughs> hugging each other until one of you says stop. Okay. That's basically what happens. All right. So I'm just there, just you know, hugging the shit out of a couple of guys. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and this Russian guy walks past. And this is a true story, but I'm looking at this Russian guy walks past. And he's probably dressed as like you do in the gym, you know, yeah, wears a vest, gets his guns out, thinks he's stacked, wants everyone to look at his muscles. Okay. And um, now, yeah, you know, I know that's what you do. Yeah, you're like, guys, check this out, guys. See what I call that? Call that the NFL. How did you know? How did you know? I know, buddy. I know. I can see it. Anyway, and he walks past and he goes, I recognize you. You're going to win competition. And I'm like, first of all, that accent is unreal. <laughs> anyone who listens to this, they're like, oh my God, have they got another guy on the show? They got another, they got another another Russian guy. No, it's just me. Anyways, I recognize you, you're the winning competition. And I'm like, yeah, bro, I fucking did, mate. Yeah, I'm a hero. And he's like, hold on, hold on. So you was a beast. Like he he, he recognized you from, so you must have won a couple. <laughs> it's, it's so silly. It's so silly. I'd won a Muay Thai competition. But this guy's muscles were so big and his brain was so small, he couldn't figure out the difference between Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. Okay. One of them is smashing people with your limbs. The other one is hugging the shit out of each other. Got but it. he'd seen me win a competition. And it's quite a while ago, but he'd seen me. Anyway. And he says, um, and then he follows up with, but you look so weak. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow, that's a burn. And everyone around me starts laughing. They're like, mate, he has got you. And I was like, I was like, all right, bro, chill out. Anyway, without any provocation, he follows up with, what well, about do we, uh, you know, we spar sometime? I'm like, all right, mate, 
fine, we'll roll anytime you like. Obviously, I'm hugely confident without anything to back it up. Just to confirm, by the way, I'm not very good at jiu-jitsu. I've been doing it for like a year, okay? But anyway, he's there and he says, okay, so let's do this. And he says, let's do this for some money. And I'm like, Okay, wow, well, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. How big is this dude? You, you, okay, right. So, he, he's Russian. I get that. So he's tough. So I, yeah, so I, let yes. me just do some quick calculations on my on my phone okay. so I can tell you how much I weigh in. So I weigh 74 kilograms, and I'm 5'11", five, I'm five, five 74 kilograms in pounds is about in foreign imperialism. No idea why you guys can't use kilograms. Um <laughs> Okay, is what's going on here? 75 kilograms in pounds. There we go. Okay, is about 165. 165. 165. Okay. About 165. Okay. Um, and he was easily, easily um 200, 210, about 210 kilograms. Uh, okay. 210 pounds. pounds. Okay. So he's got he's got about 40 pounds on me. Okay. All right. And um so I'm like, all right, let's do it. And he so said, hold on, what? But bet for, so he said, let's do it for some money. Let's do it for 10 pounds. So like, you know, like 15, well, like $20, $20. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can handle it. I earn a good, good wage. Anyway, he's like, but I'm like, it's all about the money. It's about the fact that he's challenged me to do it for money. And I got really excited about this. So for the people that are listening, the people who know jujitsu, basically I just pulled guard, which means a llama back. I wrap my legs around him, and then I choke him out with my legs. It's something called a triangle. <laughs> yeah, something called a triangle. I put his arm across him, and then you squeeze your leg around his head. You pull his head forward. He's like, Bleh. anyway, he gets up. <laughs> he gets how long? Hold on. How long did it last? Forty seconds. Okay. Forty seconds. Okay. Yeah. It literally, literally, it, like the thing about jujitsu is that, like, it genuinely, it's a superpower. I say to everyone, like. When you first start out doing it, and like I'm 165, I'm not a small guy, I'm not a big guy, but I've got like these fat little people, like who are just me up. And you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Why are you so strong compared to me? And it's like, it's mad. It's a real superpower because once you're on the ground, like your height doesn't make a difference. Your weight makes a bit of difference, but not a lot of difference. And your strength is only so useful if you know how to use your strength. And so you go against somebody who knows what they're doing. They just ragdoll you. It's madness. Mm. Yeah. So you probably get that if you played rugby against someone. You'd be like, oh, I thought I was good at sport, but actually I'm rubbish. Yeah. Don't worry about it, mate. Okay. Um, anyway. So anyway. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm in there and I'm like, so anyway, he gets up and he's like, you're cheat, you'll use your legs. And I was like, shut up, mate. It's a jujitsu, buddy. It's not Russian wrestling. Anyway, whatever it was. So anyway, he goes off in a strop and I said to him, look, Where's my money? And he goes, I pay you next time. I'm like, no, you don't pay me next time. You tell me, you pay me now, bro. That's not how we do this. He's like, I don't have any cash. And I was like, okay, there must be an app on my phone. And literally, there wasn't. I was like, damn, I've got to make something for this because I remember feeling, Alex. I remember that feeling of being like, I enjoyed this so much. Like, I felt so much more excited by the competition when something was on the line. And I was like, oh, there's something in this. And so I decided to turn that into a business for, for gaming because people game, video play video games all the time. And like, how can we add that? Like, how can we add that drama? Like, have you got any siblings, Alex? I do. I have one bro brother. 
one brother. Okay, fine. So like when you were a kid, I bet there was always that time like you're running home and you're like, every time you do anything, something on the line. It's like, okay, if I beat you at this race, you do the dishes. If I beat you at this, like whatever, you know, like I, I get to watch what I want on TV. There's always something on the line other than pride. And it just makes it a bit more exciting. So I want to create that. Also, secondly, it's controversial. I think gambling is absolutely moronic. I think it's the dumbest thing anyone can do. Because I think, why would you ever put, I think the psychology of it is awful. Why would you ever put money on anything that you can't control? Mm. Why would you do that? So I'm like, look, I get that gambling is exciting and it makes it more exciting when you're watching a game and you put some money. I get that. I'm not fighting that or denying it. But why don't I encourage people to put money on themselves and encourage themselves to get better at something? Exactly. That's what I'm all about. And so we created a business that did that. And that was two years ago. And now we're the fastest growing skill-based competition platform on the planet. Mic drop. See you later. I'm out. <laughs> now, with, with, and so talk about your company, Stakester. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this is so cool because I think, I'm very confident, like if this was created back when I was in college, when I was playing video games a lot, I would have paid my way through college. I mean, I had a scholarship, but I was awesome on the sticks. Like Madden, 90, catch that. Madden, Madden 92, 93, uh, NBA Live. I was damn yeah. near unbeatable. Whoa. And, they say, well, yeah. I know, man. I tell you. And I was beating what? guys on the team. And, I, you know, we didn't bet money because we didn't have <laughs> we didn't have very much with our little scholarship checks. but. Man, if I would have had this type of knowledge, oh, I would have been killing people from all over the world. So with your with the app that you created, you can do this. You can bet on yourself with people everywhere. Pretty much, yeah. We're in 30 countries. Yeah, we're in 30 okay. countries. But like, yeah, 100%. In case anyone didn't hear that, Alex mentioned three times that he got a scholarship at university. Just in case anyone didn't catch that, he's a big deal. No, I guess it's a bit of a big deal. But like, I tell you, so funny story, actually. So the fact, weird that you mentioned Madden. I've never told this story before on a podcast. But um, the guy who made Madden, the guy who made it, a guy called Gordon Bellamy. Okay. I met him at one of my, co-found, my co-founder's wedding. And he is this vivacious, super intelligent, now university professor guy. And he says, and I told him about my idea. He's like, he goes, Tom, I love it. And it looks me dead in the eye. He's staring at me for like, it felt like six hours, boring into my soul. And he said, how are you going to make losers feel like winners? Because if you can do that, you got yourself a billion dollar business. And I was like, damn, Gordon, you are profound. (laughs) He's like some kind of like, like a black Yoda. It was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, and I said to him, I said, look, hey, and that's literally it. Like that was that was the that was the turnaround for our business. I tell you. I should give that, I've been trying to give that guy shares, but he's just too polite to say yes. He's too polite. But he's like, yeah, but he's just like, he's like, yeah, because that was it. So that's the thing. Like that joy you get from winning is massive. So many people when they play Madden or whatever, they think they're the shit. They all think they're great. But it's just like, it's that thing of like, you know, it just feels so much more impressive if you make money from it and you can earn your way to do that, whatever. We've got people in Romania who are making real money doing this. 
But at the same time, we've got to make that enjoyable for the people who lose. Okay, that's the big thing. It's not just about it's not just about the feeling you get when you win. It's about make feeling like that you've had a good enough game and you've performed well enough that you learned something from it. It's like people like like I say it's about the best athletes. You know, they there's no I just think that there is no vernacular for lose as a great athlete. I always say you have two phrases: you win or you learn. The term lose doesn't really exist. So if someone, if you know, if I'm playing rugby and then yeah, we don't win the game, I'm like, yeah. What I know now is that you know I need to work on this, this, and this, and as a result of that, I'm going to get better. Same in our business. Like if things slow down, I'm like that's great. People come to me and they say, Tom, we've had a, you know, we haven't had great, you know, great retention this month. I'm like, brilliant. That means next month it's going to be amazing because we can learn from that. And I think that's Absolutely. a real important mentality, all the way from Gordon Bellamy. Look at that. I love that. So with like starting up businesses, like, I mean, you told us how you got it in terms of like, man, it was a feeling. And I think those intuition, like how you feel is it's powerful and it can, it can start up beautiful things. It can also tear down things. But after getting that idea, what was the next step that you took? Was it a, like a different relationship that, man, who do I know that can help me bring this together? Yeah, or, like, or was it something else? Yeah, so this is something that I, um, I thought about a lot, okay? And um, I wouldn't describe us as successful yet because we're nowhere near what I believe we are capable of. We've achieved more than a lot of businesses, okay? But I still wouldn't say the word success. I think that success is something that comes when you get to somewhere where you feel like you should be, okay? I'm on the path to success. But a big thing that I think is most important is self-awareness. So on day one, I had the idea and I started putting together what we were going to do. And I said to myself, honestly, I remember having this conversation with myself in a coffee shop. I said, right, Tom, be honest with yourself about what you are good at. Okay. And then I realized I had this epiphany. And I remember this moment where I stopped calling myself a founder. I stopped calling myself an entrepreneur. And I just started calling myself a coach. Okay. And I was like, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to build a team that can get me and this business to where I think it can get to. It's not about me. My responsibility here isn't about me being the, the big deal here. My responsibility is about getting the best performance and getting the best people into my company and making sure they work best together because they're the ones that are going to get me to be that unicorn. It's not me that's going to get there. I'm just the coach that's going to get them there. What's good, high achievers? So check it out. I've been asked about my speaking and my coaching for a while now. And since it's the holidays, which is the season of giving, I felt that this is the perfect time for this amazing giveaway, which will help jumpstart some folks' personal development and influence for the new year. My book is the main tool I use when I speak at conferences, corporate events, and when I'm coaching up my clients. It has given them a framework when it comes to getting what they want out of life. I'm going to be giving away my book and a Shark Effect hoodie to random people who shoot me a text at 503-852-2825 with the hashtag Shark Effect. Make sure you enter to have a chance at winning. Back to the show. All right, so my next guest is David Selinger, and his episode is number 86. 
And Dave, he learned some key tools from Jeff Bezos. You see, he used to work. He was an early employee at Amazon back in the day. And he has a beautiful story. He used to be in charge of the R&D arm of Amazon's data mining and personalization team. So he tells a story about um, Jeff and his leadership and how data is king. And he even took data over leadership. He had, Jeff had the uh, wherewithal to be able to put his ego aside and listen to his own words, which was all centered around data. And so uh, David tells a really cool story and I think we all can benefit from it. Okay, so it's, 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 it's entertaining, but it's also um, packed full of knowledge. So check it out. I would boil it down to one moment with, with Jeff. And, and again, there were tons of experiences, but the one that I carry with me every day, every single day as I think about how I run my business and how I think about my life, you know, it actually impacted the way that I responded to the pandemic is a lot of people that are former Amazonians talk about Jeff as having this, this methodology where he says, in God, we trust everybody else bring data. And I had this just glaring moment of truth when I was there. I, as you said, I ran this R&D division of artificial intelligence and personalization, and I'd run these experiments for Jeff, and we were trying to learn what were the types of content to show to customers. If you just looked at a TV, do we show you other TVs? Do we show you more expensive ones? Do we show you cheaper ones? Do we show you the ones on sale? Like, what, what do we do? What helps you find the thing that you want to buy? And in that process we accidentally found that there's some third-party advertisements. These are ads for other products or ads that are paid for by partners of Amazon. <clears throat> and those ads, not only, if they were done right, not only did the customers click on them and make Amazon more money, they actually made the customers more happy. If they were the right types of ads and they informed the customer meaning that the customer ultimately bought more from Amazon because of these ads sometimes. And I went and I shared this with, with Jeff Bezos. And in fact, I did it in front of his entire executive staff. And I said, hey, Jeff, I want to talk about third-party advertising on Amazon. And Jeff said something to the tune of, Amazon is a retailer, not an advertising site. This is a stupid idea. I don't really want to hear much more about it. And, you know, that's generally not, not what you want to hear from your boss um, when you're coming to present like kind of a risky idea to them. But here was the moment. <clears throat> I said, Jeff, I ran experiments and I have data that showed that this is something that we should really dig in on. And I'm willing to bet my career here that this is something you want to see. He said, okay, show me the data. Hit him with data. And, and here's what. Here's what Jeff did that was amazing. Jeff said in front of his entire executive staff, after saying this was the dumbest idea ever, said, okay, let's take a look. I showed him the data. And sure enough, the data, data supported my hypothesis. And I said, I want to run a bunch more experiments and I want to figure this out. Even though you think it's a dumb idea, here are the data that, that suggests that it's not such a dumb idea. 
Jeff Bezos, without skipping a beat, without feeling embarrassed in front of his executive staff, said, well, that's good data. Let's go test that. And his credibility in front of his staff didn't come from being right all the time. His credibility from his staff and his team and his leadership team came from being right most of the time and then being able to admit it 100% of the time if proven wrong and, and, and to let go of the ego that is typically attached with being right. He, in front of his entire executive staff, admitted that he was wrong and was willing to explore something. So my next guest is Kate Ekman. You can check out our episode on, because it's episode 78, so make sure you go back and check out the full uh, thing. So Kate, she really talks about uh, mental health and self-confidence and finding your why. Finding your why is such a foundational thing when you want to figure out, like, what do you have inside of you that others um, would pay for? So it's it's pretty cool. Make sure you take notes. It's packed full of information, and it all starts with who you are and what do you want to achieve. All right? Check it out. What questions do we ask to find our why or our purpose? Yeah, I think a lot of people find it, unfortunately, through tragedy, like I certainly did. I mean, I had whys in terms of why I did storytelling. I always, I, I knew that I, I grew up in a place of privilege and I wanted to be able to give a platform to people on, whether it's on the news or in anything I was doing to let other people share their stories publicly and be able to ask the questions that would really allow them to open up and, and share. Um, and topics that needed to be spoken about. And that's why I experienced so much more fulfillment going from who are you dating and what are you wearing in Hollywood to, you know, getting to the bottom of and helping to solve the crisis of children graduating from high school and being illiterate and asking all the questions to these judges and to the policymakers. Why, why are you passing these kids? They can't read. And so that was my why, because I think it's important that that children have an education and that you're a human in the United States of America and you can't read or people that are in the United States of America are starving to death. So for me, it was always, I've always been into social justice. I'm a, I'm a wannabe attorney in terms of bringing into um, creation new laws that really bring about equality and, and justice and freedom for everybody. I know it's like the hugest task ever. And so it does, it can become overwhelming, but you find your why by asking yourself, what's important to me right now? And why is it important to me? Um, what energizes you? What are you passionate about? When you go to a party, you know, I hate that question, what do you do? I find it so lazy and boring. Um, but if someone says, what energizes you? I mean, you even hear me talk right now, what energizes me is, is helping work on projects that give people um, a voice, working on things that make people feel uh, better on the inside, that that really help their mental health and well-being. And, and why is that important to me? Because I've seen what happens when people don't care for their mental health. And I've certainly, after those suicides, was in a very dark place myself, as you can imagine. And so wanting to come up with the tools for a better way of living and, and share it with the world, because I know how much people are struggling. But I also think we don't need to put so much stress and pressure on ourselves in terms of what's my passion, what's my purpose, why am I here? I think just, again, the little baby steps and the, the every day of, you know, when do I get excited? Um, when do I feel energy? Who am I around? W what am I doing? What are we talking about? So like these conversations energize me. If right now you're like, so what do you do? 
I'd be like, I got to go. I, you know, I think someone's calling me. Some kids I don't have need something. Bye. <laughs> Next up, my guest is Amit Hella, And you can check out our episode. It's episode 65. And he is driven to succeed. He saw something at the airport. I won't go into much detail, but he saw something that he really didn't like. And so he started to take notes on how he can change that and make money from it. And I think we can, if we have the the same amount of intention that a meat has, that we can have something, we can create something that is valuable to others, not just ourselves. So check out this episode. It's really cool. And um, he has a great product. He has a lot of great products, but this product I use every day. And I think you should too. So check it out. Just being a curious person that I am, I, you know, I, I, I just keep watching what other people were doing and, and, and so on while, while waiting to board my flights. And I noticed that more and more people were starting to use uh, or, or carry their own water bottles, which I thought was fantastic because, you know, I, I think single-use plastic bottles are, you know, one of the most expensive and wasteful products that have been created in our society. Uh, but I still noticed that a lot of people were, you know, when they go uh, through security, they would go make a beehive for uh, Hudson News and pick up the $4, $5 bottle of water. Um, so I just started asking them, um, you know, hey, uh, why, you know, why do you purchase this bottle instead of uh, just bringing your own? Um, and I thought the answer would have been convenience, um, that they don't have to carry a water bottle around clean it, and so on. Mm-hmm. But I found that the biggest reason that people were doing it is they didn't trust the quality of the water uh, in the water fountains at the airport. They weren't sure if the filters were being replaced often enough, who else had been drinking water from there, and they were worried about catching uh, you know, a flu or, or, or you know, some diseases. So it got me thinking about you know, how can we solve for this problem? Because it's a huge problem. It has a massive impact on the environment if less people are using um, these single-use plastic bottles. So it led me to you know, work with my team of uh, engineers and designers and, and, and sort of come up with this product, which uh, solves that problem. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it's an insulated water bottle, which uh, has um, a patent-pending UVC technology in it, which essentially reduces bacteria by up to 99.99% in, in the water um, through by just running a single cycle, which is anywhere from 90 seconds to 180 seconds. And at the end of it, you're getting, you, you drink water that you know is not going to make you sick. And the other cool thing about the product is while it's purifying the water, it is also, uh, keeping the bottle clean, it reduces the buildup of mold, bacteria, and so on inside the bottle. So that funky smell you get when you, um, you know, when you keep a bottle closed for a couple of days with a bit of water in it. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. This this gets rid of that. Um, So, you know, I've tested it myself where I I kept one of the bottles um, with a little bit of water in it. And for three, four days, it was starting to smell. And then I ran five, six cycles. This is after the mold is already built up. And after five, six cycles, the smell just went away. 
Um, so, you know, it is, uh, you know, it's, it's massively effective against uh, microbes. And the cool thing is this is proven technology that's being used elsewhere. We just found a way to uh, bring that uh, to water bottles. That is, man, so number one, what a great, like, insights that you've already dropped. You saw something that you could, I want to say capitalize, but, but something that was needed right in the marketplace. And you ask questions, so you got ins valuable insights from, from people, consumers, and then you put together a team. Okay, so this is the last one, and it's a good one. Uh, my good friend, Les Spellman, who's a world-renowned speed coach. And you can listen to our episode. It's, it's number 59, number 59. But on this episode, he really pulled back like how he got started. And it started from pain. His entrepreneurial journey started from pain. But then in that pain was drive. And he was able to, to see what was lacking in his space. And from there, how, did he, how could he educate himself to produce a viable product, which is speed, and speed is universal. And he talks a lot about that. Um, and it's very inspiring. It's, it's full of beautiful uh, information that you definitely can benefit from. All right, so check it out. And uh, what sparked me was I got in an accident when I was 17 years old, a really bad car accident where I broke my femur in half. And doctors oh, came yeah. in and doctors were like, hey, like, we got to we got to repair this with a metal rod. And when we put this rod in, you're not going to be able to walk without pain, probably ever. And you're, you're never going to be able to run again. And for me, it was like, obviously, like, as I just said, I wasn't like the best athlete, but I was still active and I was still like still a little bit hungry. And I was like, you know what, like, I, I'm going to take this as motivation and I'm going to figure out a way. So number one, walk without pain. And then number two, I'm going to learn how to run. Um, so long story short, it took me about six months to walk without pain, which was way ahead of schedule. No rehab, um, nothing. Like I, I, I kind of just did it on my own. And then it took me about a year to be able to go upstairs without pain. And then 18 months before I could actually run. And um, so when I ran 18 months later, I, from that point forward, um, for the next six months, I ran every single day. And like I was, I was running more distance back then. So I would do like, I was starting off with like a mile. I built up to the point where I could do 10 miles consistent almost every day. Um, oh, wow. And at that point I was like, you know, like my, my whole mentality was like, let me see how far I can take this. And I decided I was going to walk on to a division one track team. So I, I go in there. I remember, I remember like yesterday, like I walk into the coach's office and I was like, Hey, like, here's my story. I want to run track for you. And the coach, Coach Mobley, uh, was like, hey, hey like, <laughs> I love your story, but this is a Division One track team, and everybody's recruited, and everybody posts times to get on this team. Like, you can't just walk into this team. And I was like, no, like, you don't understand. Like, I'm, I'm about to run for you. So this continued for, like, three or four days where I just came back to his office over and over again. Um, and eventually he's like, okay, look, I'm going to let you try out, but your tryout's going to be a four-mile run, and you're going to run with the cross-country kids. I was like, I don't care. Just let me do it. And um, long story short, I came in last in, in the time trial, and I was the absolute worst that, that 
was there that day. And uh, somehow the coach saw my heart, saw my intention and was like, you know what, I need this kid on my team. And, um, you know, from that point forward, like, you know, I started running track and, and got into, and, and, you know, running faster. So, you know, my college years were, were basically my struggle trying to figure out how to be fast. And I failed all, all three years. I never actually ran that fast. And I had an expectation going into college, being in Division One program, that they were going to teach us how to run. That they were going to like sit us down and like do biomechanics, but that never happened. They never, they don't, they don't teach running on a track team in college. They they manage talent. And um, so what happened was I, I graduated college and I was still, you know, maybe like ten percent better than when I started, but you know it was all good. And I was like, you know, I I got to see what's next. I got to find out what's next. And I, I went out on a, on a journey to figure out how to teach speed and communicate speed to, to athletes of, of all sizes, shapes, sports, whatever. Um, to me, speed is universal. Um, and I, I believe that it's one of the X factors that, that produces great, great, great athletes in any sport, ability to run fast. So I spent the next um, 10 years after college up until now redefining how to teach speed and, and, um, and classify speed. Mm. Man, that's a wonderful story, man. It's it's uh it's something that you know, I look at it when you said that they don't teach speed. I was like, man, he was so right. <laughs> he was so right. Like even at the the strength and conditioning part, and uh, I was lucky being at the University of Oregon, and being lucky, I, I want to say uh, I don't know if it's luck, but. When I, blew Rad. My, when I blew out my ACL, <laughs> I blew out my ACL. I got two screws in my knee, my, in my left knee. But because of that, I got a chance to work with Coach Rad. You already said Coach Radcliffe. And I got mm -hmm. a chance to work with him for five days a week, one hour a day for about six months. And he literally, he, he, walked, he taught me how to run. And yeah. that was the first time. And I ran track in high school and, and I was pretty fast. And but man, when he taught me how to walk, how to march, how to skip, and how to run, it, and, it, and it was like, you know, the classic, you know, wax on, wax off. It was really slow and monotonous and boring, but I bought into it. Mm. And and man, about I want to say I, I blew out my knee. And I was running like a four, four, eight. And six months later, I ended up running. He, he, Coach Radcliffe allowed me to. He didn't want it, but I, I begged him enough. And I ended up running a four, five, oh, six months after my surgery. Wow. Now, but and then I played and then I ended up running um, before my junior year in the spring. So I had a full like recovery period and I was I ran a four, three, two. Wow. And, you know, I was stronger. I, I jumped higher, but all that stuff, Coach Radcliffe gave me a foundation of speed. And just yeah. hearing you talk and, you know, I, you know, I spent some time with you. I know how you can get, you can, you can dive in deep. You can get real nerdy <laughs> on speed yeah. and, and yeah. I love it. But it sounds like, man, you found that passion when you was yeah. in college or even before that, when you got hurt, like, I want to hear about that journey, like kind of finding yourself and, and, and really like finding a passion and then going all in. Yeah. So 
like, I mean, when I met Elijah, I just, I saw he had that, like, fire and that focus and all that. And truthfully, when I was 16, 15 years old, I, I didn't have that. Like, I, I'd grown up most of my life up until, like, 14. was, like, very, very, very regular. Like, there was nothing, like, I didn't have a hard life. Like, uh, pretty easy life, you know. Like, my dad worked somewhere and lived somewhere else. But, you know, I had family. Like, I had, you know, we had um, a comfortable middle-class life. At 15 years old, my mom remarried. I moved to D.C. And at the time, D.C. was like 2004, 2005. Uh, was a murder capital of the world. And, and like, I mean, I, my mom, hopefully she doesn't listen to this, but like I saw a lot of things very, very, very fast mm-hmm. at a young age. And at first it was discourage, discouraging and like it created anger. And that anger, I didn't know where to put it. So what I did was I, I found other angry people and just gravitated towards them. And then we just ended up getting into all types of trouble because none of us knew how to deal with our pain and the things we experienced and saw. And, you know, me coming from like a comfortable environment to like a chaotic environment was, was really tough for me at 14, 15 years old. Plus, you know, living with a step family and all that. So not knowing at the time, like, you know, battling like anxiety, depression, anger, all these things, like I didn't understand and, and realize those things are those those things are harmful like I I thought I was normal and I should be like I'm privileged and I should be lucky um to be in the position I'm in so when I got hurt happened was I realized all this and I started to kind of like unravel my life and 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 look at it from a 10,000 foot view because I almost died in this car accident like they they took me in a helicopter they they nearly they nearly amputated my leg like I was losing blood like there was a lot that happened so after this traumatic experience I'm sitting there in my house and I'm in incredible pain. Like, I mean, breaking your femur is the worst pain. And I've had a couple other breaks, broke my ankle, uh, collarbone, but nothing, nothing compares to breaking the femur in half because I ripped all the muscle tissue and everything. And I remember my mom, she's like, look, you're going to, you're going to fight this and you're going to do it without medication because most of the, most of the people that have humor fractures and things like this like end up getting addicted somehow to to um the opioids and the, and the drugs because they're in so much pain you just start to use that as a crutch and i remember my mom taking the pills and dumping them out in front of me and i was like at that point i knew like okay i'm locking in and i know this is like god is giving me the worst pain that i could ever imagine right now to understand what pain feels like and then understand how to push through it despite what i feel and that was like kind of the beginning for me. So it gave me fire. It gave me like, okay, like I can take all this pain and I can actually channel it into something constructive. So for me, it was just many steps. And this is actually kind of how I coach. Like I coach in very, very, very basic, basic, basic steps to get to the end and only look one or two days. Like for the athlete, I'm only teaching them one or two days, you know, ahead. I'm like, hey, here's what's next. But I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying like, you know, like, six months from now I want you to do this drill and that drill and this drill it's like no let's just focus on the moment and that's how I took my my rehabilitation process and what happened was I had an occupational therapist come one day and occupational therapists um, essentially like they help you you go to the bathroom and and shower I couldn't shower for five months because the shower I only have one shower upstairs so they would shower me like by using this um disposable soap and I would do that and change and get help going to the bathroom and it's embarrassing and basically the occupational therapist is saying to me our goal is to get you 
to be able to stand up on your own in six months. And I'm like, mm, no, that's not my timeline. That's not my timeline. I go to physical therapy the next week and they're like, our goal is to bend your leg 90 degrees in six months. I was like, no, 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 that's not my timeline. So what happened was I, I took all this pain and energy and, and stress and everything that I was feeling and I started to channel it into these micro goals. So goal number one is stand up. You know, goal number two is take a couple of steps. Goal number three is learn how to go to the bathroom by yourself. And eventually, like, I was able to, you know, walk to the front door, walk to the end of the block, walk around the block, and just incrementally, incrementally, incrementally. So I took that experience, you know, going from being bedridden, like not be able to, not being able to get up, stand up, do anything, to eventually being on a Division One track team. And when I got to that Division One track team, I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to do the same process. And I did the same process and I kept doing it. So all the way through, you know, I'm 31 now and, and the accident was um, 14 years ago. So it's just been my, my life cycle, you know, how I deal with my daughter, how I deal with my relationships, everything is just the same cycle. And, you know, the channeling of the pain into production has kind of been like my secret weapon with everything. And, you know, I just lost a couple of family members over the pandemic and, you know, I was away from my family for 20, for 20 months. And when I look back over the past 20 months, I look at the skill that I developed while I was rehabbing, which was turning my pain into production. And that's what I did over the past 20 months. And I had the most productive 20 months I've ever had in my life. Um, you know, from having a baby, launching a business, you know, um, having success with a draft, number one, two, and three picks. like, And, and all of that came from my pain into production. So... Yo, what's up? So check this out. If you like today's episode, I want you to do a couple of things. Number one, I want you to subscribe to the show. And I want you to give it a rating. Five stars are dope. We love those. And then give it a review. And so I'm saying this not for selfish reasons, but it's to help us all out. The more ratings that we get and the more reviews that we get, the bigger, more impactful guests that I can get on the show. And so, you know, it's a win-win for everyone, but it starts with you giving a review, rating it, and sharing it, all right? So if you can do that, we can all have a greater or make a better, greater impact, all right? So until next time, keep aligning, assigning, and adjusting to the person that you want to become. All right. So if you got some value from today's episode and you're looking for the next step, well, here it is. I want you to subscribe to our Facebook group. It's called the Shark Effect Group. And when you get in, you'll be linked up with some other former elite level athletes. And they'll be there sharing some actionable steps and advice to get you to where you want to go. Because they are there. They are where you want to go. Uh, They're fighting to get further. And so you can get some some value from just joining a group and it's free. So you don't have to worry about anything like that, about paying. But I suggest if you're looking for the next steps to get to where you want to go and have a life of impact and purpose, because you are set apart. Former elite level athletes, you are different. And you need to be able to learn how to use your influence to benefit you. So I want you to go over to the Facebook group and join it and join it today. It's here. Finally, my book, the ultimate playbook for high achievement. 
you can get it on Amazon in the uh, paper paperback version or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is an in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking tr to transition. What, whether you was an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever, if you're looking to transition into something different, this book can help you. I break it down, I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you gotta understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making, that can help you with influencing others. And how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment, and adjustment. Um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter. Developing your own procedures, creating relationship roadmaps, using adversity to your advantage, right? Because we all go through tough times, but how do you flip it? How do you use it to power you, okay? And then developing your own standards. So these are things that can help anybody, not just not just athletes. Now, there's some stories in there, you know, that covers topics that that resonate with athletes. But I think overall, this book can help um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. OK, so make sure check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement.